Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to get together like this and to study important matters and help us as we look at the Westminster Confession of Faith to do our best to understand uh, what's been presented and help us to apply it to our lives, remembering that this is a distillation of Scripture, kind of boiling it down in a way to help us. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so we're in chapter 21, and um, this is the, the subject is of religious worship in the Sabbath day, and I don't even think we got through the first sentence last time. But uh, I'll read the first, the first article here. The light of nature showeth that there is a God who hath lordship and sovereignty over all, is good and doth good unto all, and is therefore to be feared, loved, praised, called upon, trusted in, and served with all the heart and with all the soul and with all the might. But the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself and is so limited by his own revealed will that he may not be worshiped according to the imaginations and devices of men or the suggestions of Satan under any visible representation or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scripture. Okay, what we have here is sometimes referred to as the regulative principle. It's got a yes and a no. Did you kind of pick up on it? First sentence is, is the yes, and the second part is the no, the second sentence. The yes being that uh, we are to worship, and then the second part, the no, how we're not to worship. See how that follows? Anything uh, that's worthwhile that we do in life works that way. Uh, so, some folks who think that we should be just completely accepting of any old thing often are people who fail to see this. Think, think about it this way. If we wanted to like win a marathon, there'd be certain things you do and certain things you don't do, right? So what would be some of the things you'd do if you wanted to win a marathon? How about run? <laughs> you'd run, right? So there'd be things you know you, you did. You'd you'd work on your running. You'd develop your maybe your stride. You know, uh, to try to develop your stamina. Obviously, uh, your uh, ability to deal with monotony. <laughs> Twenty twenty-six miles. You know, of just running. <laughs> what are some of the things you wouldn't do, or stop doing that are not necessarily bad in and of themselves, but but if you want to win a race, a marathon, for goodness sake. Uh, what's that? Don't drink a lot. So alcohol. So you're, I imagine you want to drink water, though. <laughs> yeah, so, so you would attend to the things you put in your body. Yeah, there's certain things you wouldn't put in your body, which aren't necessarily bad, like Hostess Twinkies. Now, maybe you're against Hostess Twinkies, but is it like, is it like a sin to eat Hostess Twinkies? Well, maybe if you're trying to win a marathon, <laughs> right? If it's not something that's going to help you. Now, maybe you can kind of give yourself a little break every once in a while and enjoy some things that you wouldn't enjoy otherwise if you're trying to win the marathon. But you would take care of your diet, right? Anything else? Wouldn't stay up all night, right? Now, you get my, get my drift. If you have a goal 
It's a worthwhile thing to pursue. There are things you do and things you don't. And the same thing's true with worship. There are things you do and things you don't. And those are prescribed uh, by God. There are things you do. So the first part um, starts off with the justification for worship. The light of nature showeth that there is a God. Okay, so there's a God. That's where you start. Who hath lordship and sovereignty over all. Those are a couple of reasons to worship him. He has lordship and sovereignty over all. But we go on to elaborate what that means. Because you can have lordship and sovereignty and not be a nice guy, right? Caliglia, Nero, right? These were rulers who were not good people. But God is good. He is good and and doth good unto all. That's an interesting thing to note. Doth good unto all. Jesus talked about this, right? The, the, the Lord is good to all. His, uh, you know, the sun and the rain, they're enjoyed by the good and the bad people, you know, both. So, um, and is therefore to be feared, loved, praised, called upon, trusted in, served, and so forth. So we, we focused on that part uh, last time, if I remember correctly. But... Um, so the, the thing we're to do uh, is to, you know, we fear the Lord, we love the Lord, we praise the Lord, we call upon the Lord, we trust the Lord, we serve the Lord. And then uh, it's with all the heart, with all the soul, and with all the might. Let's think about that part, because I think we spent a lot of time last time, particularly on feared and loved. Um, but when we talk about all, what's included? Yes, there you go. <laughs> all is all. All is all. So what are you? you know, when you think about yourself, what are you? Uh, well, there are some things that are laid out for, for us here. Heart, soul, and might. Now, it's, it's interesting. They didn't include another uh, feature or facet of our, ourselves, and that's the mind. I think, though, that they would include that if we were to press them, yeah, because that's scriptural. But when we think about the heart, what is the heart? Obviously, you got a heart. You wouldn't be here today if you didn't. The physical heart. But we know we're talk, not talking about a physical heart. So why do we call this other thing the heart, and what is that other thing? Any thoughts? Yep, David? Uh, just passions. Passions? I mean, rightful passions, I guess, in the most of the sense, but they can be... Uh, Bad passions? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the Bible talks about evil desires, not wanting, we shouldn't give ourselves. Yep, Leah. The crux of the matter. The crux of the matter. The heart, the crux, the issue of the matter. The issue of the matter, okay. Um, let's sort of unpack that a little bit. I think, <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not saying you have to do it. We, just like all of us should do it. I think you're on to something important. Crux, you know, when we think about a crux, you know, the, the X kind of marks the spot. There's a kind of cross sort of where things come together, kind of the center of things. I think that's kind of what's implied. Yeah, Cindy. The seat of our emotions and our thoughts. Yeah, the seat of our emotion and our thoughts. Isn't it interesting? We can't get away from analogies. We're, now we're talking about sitting. <laughs> you know, we've got this seat now. So the heart and the seat, kind of interesting. We're talking about something spiritual in character. Uh, and consequently, the way that we get at it is through analogies. And I'll be talking about analogies in my sermon today. But... Analogies are the, are the way we get at spiritual things. So we start with the physical world, but the physical world is not a meaningless thing. 
It's full of meaning because it corresponds to spiritual things. That's important for us to keep in mind. So when we talk about a heart, we talk about the physical organ, of course, but that physical organ does what? Keeps us alive. And it's kind of centered, right? It's right there in the middle of you. And it pumps the blood throughout the body. Even people in ancient times knew this. They cut up lots of animals and said, there's a heart. <laughs> you know, then, and then they'd fight each other and they would go for the heart. You know? So everybody's known this forever, that the, that the physical organ is the center of the physical body. There's something that corresponds to the spiritual man. It's also the heart. And it's the seat of the emotions, as, as you've noted, Cindy. Let me, let me, let me propose a, a way of thinking about it. It's the seat of judgment. It's the seat of judgment. So when you um, value something, you have made a, a judgment. You've said, this is valuable. So there's something there that is to be loved. It's, it, it, it's something that, that your emotions respond to, but it's not just your emotions. You have to exercise your rational faculties to assess the worth of the thing. You see what I'm saying? So let's think about it this way. So young ladies, you've got several suitors. Here you go. Maybe three or four young men who are all vying for your affection. What do you do? Just let your emotions carry you away? You're with this guy, you love that guy. You're with this guy, you love that guy. You know, it's kind of fun to think about, but you're, <laughs> you're being pulled in all these different directions. What do you have to do? You have to evaluate the men, right? You have to judge the men. You have to say, this guy is good in these ways, this guy is good in those ways, this guy is worthless, this guy is really great. <laughs> you know, you're, you're judging. So you're... you're, you're The faculty of judgment is being employed at the same time as your heart is at work. It's not like either or. They're both at work at the same time. So that's the heart. That's where it crux. You know, things come together. Your emotional life, your mental life. Then your moral life. Because what you give yourself to, let's keep it with a a suitor, a young man who's interested in your affection. Well... Once you've made a commitment, right, there's a kind of moral character to this now. Now you have to be faithful. Stick with it, right? That kind of thing. Now, you know, you you can have a period of time where you're sort of like learning more. (laughs) It's not like you have to give yourself completely over immediately. But eventually, you know, when the wedding day comes and you make the promises, then you've made the promises. And it's a matter of sticking to what you've promised. So... That's heart issues. That's the heart issue. Now, when it comes to the Lord, we love the Lord. There's an emotional part to this, or the passions. But there's also the mind. When we, when we praise the Lord, what we're saying is we're judging. This is an odd thing to think about. We, our judgment is saying the Lord is worth everything. He's worthy to be praised. He's worth all of our, our, our love and devotion and commitment and so forth. You see how that follows? So that, that's really what the heart is. Sometimes people kind of, I think everybody kind of knows this. It's kind of an intuitive thing. I've just, what I've done is I've tried to spell it out a little bit. Any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I agree, Molly. You're absolutely right. God is good. And because he's good, we can uh, worship him with all the heart, all the soul, and with all the might. So we've talked about the heart. Now, what is the soul? Isn't that an interesting thing to consider, the soul? Um, how do we distinguish that? The Greek word that we translate into the word soul is psyche. Where we get the term psychology, isn't that an interesting? When you think when you think about a psychologist, are you thinking about someone who's a soul doctor? Probably not. We've kind of taken the term and now have begun, you know, used it in ways that are not in keeping with its origin. But when we think about the soul, that's where a lot, a lot of the time where we're talking about sort of the emotional, the passions, those kinds of things, uh, that part of our ourselves. Um, that the soul needs to be um, disciplined. This idea that we can just kind of give ourselves over to our passions is just dumb. No one ever does actually do it that way. We all, we all judge the different kind of imp- impulses that we have. Like, let's, let's say, you know, you just, you're on the road and suddenly someone cuts you off and you're really angry and you just want to kill the guy. Do you do it? You give yourself over to that passion. Probably not a good idea, <laughs> right? Any any thoughts on that? So we have to judge our passions. Yep, David. Oh, when you said psyche, or what was the word translated? Psyche, it's a psyche of soul. I just uh, listening to different people that might go into this field who are not necessarily Christian, or that, although they might have affinity to it. They talk about the mind and how it's not really connected to the brain. It's, those are two completely different things. The mind uses the brain, and they kind of have to work in, together almost. They're almost inextricably linked, but they are very separate. It's very interesting. To yeah, well, this has been the big debate in the history of Western thought for a long, long time. You know, the relationship of the mind to the body, the mind-body problem, because the brain is part of the body. If we re- There are some people who are materialists. Uh, sometimes they're called physicalists. And they do reduce everything to the body. And this is why a lot of contemporary psychology uh, is sort of drug-oriented. It's all about just giving you some, some pills. Here, so this will date me. There was a Saturday Night Live skit. Take a pill, take a pill. I don't know if some of you remember that. <laughs> but it was all about sort of this over-dependence upon medication to, like, solve every problem. So a, a boy is a little sort of high energy, well, what do you do? Give them a pill. Really? We just throw pills into people like this, just like, it's just crazy. <laughs> yeah? In that regard, I was just reading that uh, the new magic pill that's for diabetics that's being used for weight loss is now being tested for addiction. Apparently, oh. it takes away the brain's dependence on dopamine and it can... Wow. So it's just another pill. Just yeah. the body is, the body is all that there is, and we just have to engineer it to, right. to do these things. There's no. There was one anecdote about a fellow who was on a different drug, and as soon as he got off it, he relapsed. Yeah. Then he went into rehab, which I assume treated more than just the physical, and he's been sober since. So oh, people want a pill. They yeah. gotta, there's a harder way, but a more effective way to go get yeah. this problem solved. So let me just give you a little window into my history. My mother was in and out of mental institutions for most of my life. Um, 
And she was just uh, kind of, she was one of these, remember that passage where the woman with the issue of blood, the references, she suffered under many doctors. <laughs> That's the way she was. She suffered under many doctors. Uh, eventually died uh, at their hands. Um, she had a, a sort of almost, idol, idol, she idolized doctors to the point where she was just obsessed with that stuff. And I can remember stuff I don't care to share but was really disturbing for, say, an eight or nine-year-old boy to witness. Um, and it was, I, I mean, the, 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 the volume of, of medication that she was uh, in, taking into her body in an ongoing, it, it contributed to her death. So, anyway, I'm not saying that all that stuff's bad, but, I mean, we need to be... We need to exercise some judgment, <laughs> and um, you know we're we're more than just biochemistry. Then the might, you know, the idea of having your heart in it, sort of working toward the goal, you know, sort of exercising, um, uh, you know, your your will and your and your and being determined to do what is right. I think that's what you know is being referred to there. Any thoughts about any of that? Yeah, David. Um, with the, when you talked about this, with all your heart, uh, out of our heart, out of our mouth comes what's in our heart. Yeah. Um, all of the soul, it's eternal. And all of our might, is that our works? Well, or, I think it implies that there's some, some effort that we're, you know, employing to, so that's a work. So God wants our mouth to be clean our soul to be eternally good, and our might to do works of his. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Would, you, would you consider if the might was the determination? Yeah, I think determination is at the heart of it. I mean, you, you kind of set yourself to, to do something and you know, give yourself over to it and work at it. Doesn't mean that you're as consistent as you'd like to be, or you know, the idea that we get better and we grow, or we should, is something now we can stagnate, we can kind of backslide, you know, and that kind of stuff. So it's not like, uh, have you ever tried to chart your Christian life? <laughs> but you're kind of moving in the right direction. Yeah, David. Um, so you mentioned the hierarchy in terms of the, what was that, three? The, the, yeah, the, the mind, the stomach, and the, yeah, mind. the affections, yeah, the appetites. I noticed that Paul does give a hierarchy because in Romans, I believe, chapter 12, when he mentions if you want transformation, he's basically saying you really have to renew the mind. And by doing that, it pretty much affects every other position. Yeah, yeah, it, that's right. It, so even people who have given themselves over to their passions uh, have um, either neglected to exercise judgment or have judged what they want to do to be the thing that they should do. This is one of those things, too. You know, everybody, you know, one, at one level you could say um, people always do what they think is, is right or people always do what they think is good. The problem is, is that it can be, that can be wrong. <laughs> now, here's here's, here's way, another way to think about it. Everybody, if you were to ask, if you were got to go out in the street 
and just do like the man in the street interviews, and you were to say, do you want to be happy? Everybody would say what? Yes, yes that's right. Then you'd, if you were to ask a follow-up question, are you happy? You get divided re results, right? You know, some people would say they're happy. Some people would say they're miserable. What does that imply? It means you can get it wrong. <laughs> in other words, you, you, you want something and you're, and you're not making progress to it, so you must have something wrong or something is wrong. You see, you see what I'm getting at? So we can evaluate happiness. There's this idea that, oh, we can't judge happiness. Sure you can. You do it every day. It's dumb to say you can't. You can get it, if you can get it wrong, if you're miserable, then you're getting it wrong. <laughs> right? Yeah, Jiho. So I, I think you said like giving, uh, giving yourself over to passions several times now, but it seems like there is an emotional content to worship. Or, I mean, it would be wrong to not have an emotional content to worship. And so there's a passion component to worship. Like the, the imperatives are fear, love, and praise. And those seems like emotional things to do. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so let, let's think about giving, this. Giving ourselves over to our logic seems like a, another ditch that we can get into. Well, let's, let's step back a little bit here. So, Jiho, you're a mathematician. You exercise rational faculty every day, all day long. <laughs> so, the, so you're, you're probably a person who's like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't mean to be presumptuous, but a person who says, you know what, I need to have a little more richness in this part of my life. Right, so that's why I'm asking, because yeah. I'm emotionally, you know, a dwarf. <laughs> You're a giant when it comes to logic. <laughs> but most people are the reverse. Trust me, I'm a pastor. I've seen it my, <laughs> my entire professional life. Most people are the reverse. So you're absolutely right. But why I'm stressing the other is because, generally speaking, in my own sort of ministry, I've seen the other part, side. So what do you do when you go to your typical evangelical church? I'll give you an example. You have a worship time, and then you have the teaching time. It's almost as though as soon as you exercise your mind, the worship has stopped. We're going to praise the Lord. You know, everybody's doing their thing, you know, and it just kind of goes on. Everybody measures the value of the, of the, of the time based on how much crying is going on or <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And you're like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying this, that's valueless. But I'm, what I'm saying is that even when you do that, you've exercised some judgment. You've said that this part of yourself is the, 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 the most significant part of yourself. And that the other stuff is second rate. Jiho is coming at from the other direction. <laughs> so I, I told him, I think it was at the him saying, I told everyone to smile. And <laughs> I remember that. And right. I got pushback. <laughs> so it seems like we have a, like a aversion to being emotional or being. Oh, oh, well, maybe, maybe though, maybe, maybe with the pushback came from I don't want to fake it. Now, but I, I, was, I was in a choir, I was in a college choir, an acapella choir. We had a very charismatic director. Uh, don't mean charismatic in the sense that he was a charismatic in terms of, but he had a lot of personality. 
And he would stand up there the whole time <laughs> doing that while we're singing in a row. <laughs> like, anytime we stop singing, we're <laughs> supposed to be smiling, you know. You get my drift. But I'm having a little fun with you, Joe. But, but I remember, uh, oh, Marvin Daniels. Remember Marvin? And, you know, he was that way. He was, so he, he was a great friend from years ago. His, he's a black guy from Brooklyn, married a wonderful girl named Angie. And they have five great kids. They've all grown up to be great, great kids. But uh, I remember he would make us all feel guilty for not being happy. He would berate us <laughs> at the beginning of service, you know, basically because we weren't singing with enough joy. It's like, get joyful now! <laughs> so, so, there's a, so let, let, me, let me just step back and think about this. Let's think about this. So can we be sort of a, appropriately you know, emotional on command? David? Well, it seems like it's pretty easy for us to say we can, we can emotionally, if you want to use that word, go to thinking logically. In other words, you're actually forcing yourself to move to a position. And it seems like if you can do that, you can do the, the converse. So, in other words, I can force... I, 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 I'm going we used to, to have a thing in my house called mandatory fun time. <laughs> Anybody here have mandatory fun at home? We're going to have fun now, <laughs> or Dad's not going to be happy. <laughs> let, let, me, let me approach it this way. So, if, so emotions are great, but emotions are responses. Emotions are responses. So you've got to give people the reason to respond. So how do, you, how do you get people to feel peace? Tell them things, provide them with things that make them feel peaceful. How do you make people feel happy? Give them things, provide them things with things, you know, sort of the occasion to, to feel happy. You, you see what I'm getting at? So, in fact, today I'm going to be talking about, you know, when you wake up at three in the morning and you've got something on your mind that's just weighing you down and makes you, you know, break out in a cold sweat, what do you do? Remember the blessings of the Lord. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, see what God has done. I can't remember how the rest of it goes, but you get the drift. But the idea is that you remember something, and then your mood brightens. You remember what God has done for you in the past, and you're, you're like, wow. You know, and then suddenly you're in the shadow of the wings. You're sheltered by the Most High. Yep, David. I think the, you're talking about the joys. How many people have you met that no matter what's going good in their life, they're still an Eeyore? <laughs> still what? An Eeyore. Yeah, well, yeah, some people are just that way. This is, joy is, a, is like every other Christian muscle. You need to exercise it. You don't get the word by not reading it. it doesn't, you don't well, sure, but, like, but I think you see what I'm getting at, though, David, is that you don't feel joy by saying, I'm going to be joyful. Well, there you go. So, in other words, you're giving yourself something to inform your joy. Yeah, well, yeah, and that's where you need to sort of like say, I'm not going to think about this thing. I'm going to think about what God has done for me in the past. And the, impl- imp- the imp- 
implication is that God will continue to do those things, and He's already doing those things, and you should you should appreciate it now, right? Yep, the end. What what role do you think our natural inclinations play in this? Because I am the most I I wasn't born with common sense or logic at all. You're, you're kind of coming up from the opposite direction. What, from how do you <laughs> marry to a man who is like the most logical? I go, I go, well, then you appreciate each other. I, I admire common sense and logic because I don't have it, and I could. And you should admire your, your. How much does that? <laughs> you should. You should appreciate each other. How you much? What? Well, well, that's. Leave that out of it. But I wasn't really talking about marriage. I'm sorry that it turned into that. But I was talking about when we're looking at these mind, will, emotions, heart, how much does how we're naturally inclined yeah. play into it? Well, I think that there's... There, so, you know, we're told in Scripture that we have different gifts, different inclinations. I think that even natural inclinations, because God is our creator, are gifts from God. So there are things that, uh, so it's almost like every strength can be a weakness, if you notice this. So um, your strength, if you try to use that same, it's like, you know, when all you got is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So you can say, like, you're, if you're, say, a, a person who is sort of inclined more to sort of having a sympathetic character, like my wife, She's that way. She's got, a, she's got a very sympathetic character. Anything that provides you a reason to cry, she's crying. You know, I'm looking over here, she's crying again. <laughs> She'd be happy crying, sad crying, you know. But, but that's a marvelous gift, right? It's a marvelous gift to be able to sympathize with other people, kind of feel what other people feel. Now, I've seen her in action in lots of settings where she talk, walks up to strangers, people. You know, I, I've, I've used this as an illustration before. Like, she can walk up to somebody's house, she, they don't know who she is, and immediately they trust her. Immediately they welcome her into the house. They're showing her pictures of the grandchildren. They're sharing cookies and stories and stuff like that. I walk up, what happens? What's that guy selling? <laughs> I'm not sure I want to let him in. Don't answer the door! <laughs> that kind of thing. So wh- why is that? Now, there are certain situations in where my disposition is actually really helpful, you know, but it's just not the same thing. If you see what I'm getting at, there's circumstances, situations, and where our different sort of propensities are helpful or, or, or hindering. I don't spend, you know, if I was the sort of guy that tried to, like, engage in conversation uh, with every stranger on the plane, um, there would be this result where everybody's kind of sitting on each other's laps and I'd be all alone in the back of the plane with nobody around for... I'm having a little... I'm joking, you know. But, but, but it's just... It doesn't, it doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for me. I've learned that the hard way. So what I've said is, okay, I'm, I'm a certain kind of person. And I need to have my wife... You know, like... I, so here I was. I was at General Assembly. I see Steve Lavallee. First thing Steve asked me is, how's your wife? Not like, how are you doing, Chris? Haven't seen you in a while. How's your wife? And he says, well, I said, she's doing great. He says, oh, my folks love your wife. Doesn't say anything about me. (laughs) 
they just love your wife so much. They missed your wife. I was their pastor. <laughs> you know, and that, you don't know anything about me where I'm, I could be dead, lying in a bridge, <laughs> living in a box under a bridge. <laughs> How's your wife? Anyway, I have fun with it. It's, you know, it's, I, I get it. <laughs> it's just kind of the way things work. Anyway, uh, does that answer the question? <laughs> Well, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's it. And in the, in a home, or just different people. Yeah. And it's and it's it's sometimes we talk about the body of Christ and spiritual gifts. You know, we our mind immediately goes to the gift of healing or the gift of preaching or something. I think it's also just kind of our our person, the way we are. You know, we're just different kind of people, and we have different personalities and strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. I just wanted to tie in what Dave ultimately said, Marlo said that. Um, like if you were going to take a strength of somebody, um, and Dave was saying, you know, you need to strengthen your muscle. But sometimes it is difficult uh, for a lot of people that just aren't a self-starter. And regardless of if somebody wants to claim a self-starter to be proud, there's just not very many of those type of people. And you need people to help you, whether you want to go to the gym or whatever. But so, like, um, I'm really glad for people that create things of art, uh, whether they create things that are powerful on film, you can just tap into those, and it's an aid to help you begin the process of transforming your mind. So, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, we all have to 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 make commitments to do things, but sometimes our commitments, you know, are not as strong, or you know, we don't we won't have enough sort of wherewithal to follow through, and, and that's great to have. This is one of the reasons why it's important to hear preaching, um, because preach, preachers are to, you know, one of the things that preachers are supposed to do is exhort, not just instruct, but exhort, to encourage you, to kind of keep on keeping on, right? Um, so, you know, personal devotions are great. Everybody should have them. Everybody should be reading their Bibles and praying, but you need to have somebody else come along and say, get going! <laughs> right. I wonder if there's a sense in which like that making ourselves smile when we sing or something like that. I wonder if there's a sense in that's kind of what David's doing in Psalms like 103, you know, bless the Lord on my soul. I mean, he's yeah. telling his soul to rejoice and bless the Lord. Right. Um, I wonder if that's part of it. Yeah, I think talking to yourself is not a sign of mental illness. It's just we all, something we all do. You know, We ought to talk to ourselves. Like when we see that we're not behaving or thinking the right way, say, come on, you know, you can exhort yourself, right? And I, I think that's one of the things you see in the Psalms. You know, I've noted a couple of times now that as we're going through the Psalms, how David is uh, addressing himself, he's addressing the Lord, he's addressing his enemies, he's addressing the, you know, the people of God. He just kind of, you know, it's almost like almost in the middle of a verse. <laughs> it shifts from here to there, you know, just like that. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of interesting because, you know, none of us will ever be everything God is. Mm. We will only be good at part of who he is. Yeah. And so oftentimes it's other people around us, their strengths might really bother us. Yeah, that, that's true. And so we are have a harder time being grateful for them where in actuality we need each other. Mm-hmm. And so when we're trying to get an attitude of gratitude, mm-hmm. we've got to be able to take that irritation and be able to say, but what is it about that that is good? Yeah, and sometimes and it helps a lot when we can think that way to see the body of Christ as everybody having different parts to play. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I remember a guy, his, <laughs> this is a fun one. <laughs> his name was Vinyl Savage. Sounded like Grace Slick. It sounds like he's like a punk rocker from the 80s or something like that. Vinyl Savage. Vinyl Savage. Was not spelled like the floor covering. Uh, V-I-N-A-L. He was one of the funkiest guys I've ever met. He's like lived up to his name. But he was uh, from Maine, and he was one of the, he was a mason, uh, bricklayer, you know. And even into his 70s, he was this wiry, high-energy just sort of guy. And he was like the most opinionated man you ever saw. Everybody loved and hated vinyl at the same time. <laughs> so like when, when, when I did his funeral, here's a fun thing. I remember when, <laughs> so I remember when we first got to the church on Cape Cod, we were, in this, we were in the parsonage, and I was like exhausted. I mean, I was doing all kinds of stuff. And I was just, Sunday, it was Monday, I made the mistake saying to vinyl uh, after church on Sunday that the gutters needed cleaning on the parsonage. So I'm la- I, I finally get a chance to lay down on the couch, and I'm looking up out through the window, you know, at the sky, and I see this ladder. <laughs> and I see a 75-year-old man climbing the ladder. I was like, he's going to see me through the window, <laughs> and I'm never going to live this down, because Vinyl was the kind of guy, one more lazy preacher. <laughs> that kind of, that kind of thing. Oh. <laughs> so I pulled myself up. I actually wrote a short story inspired by this experience. <laughs> and so I went outside, and for the next three hours, we're cleaning gutters together. <laughs> but uh, Vinyl was just this guy. I remember he, he eventually had a... Uh, and then he had that, while we were doing this, he was telling me all these stories about World War II and all the crazy things he did, and they were just wild. But I remember he had a stroke, and he went to the nursing home, and I'd go to visit him every month. And he, uh, he had this, uh, he was, one day I went in to see him. He was kind of a shadow of his former self at this point. I went in to see him, and he had this sweatshirt on of a guy with a ducktail, you know, this is from the 50s, like that, on a Harley, surrounded by a bunch of other military guys, and they're all laughing their heads off. It was vinyl on the, on the Harley. <laughs> it was so easy to believe. But at the funeral, uh, you know, the, the uh, eulogies were all mixtures of I hated vinyl and I loved vinyl. You know, because vinyl would tell you exactly what he thought about you at any given moment. <laughs> and then you'd say, you know what, he might have something there. You know, I, maybe I should be better at this or that or whatever. And then he would do stuff for you. You know, he'd show up at your house and, like, fix your whatever, the whole time lecturing you on how stupid you were to <laughs> let it get in that state of disrepair. <laughs> Just that kind of guy, you know. But this, to your point, you know, he's the kind of guy you have to force yourself, like, I should be grateful for vinyl. Because <laughs> after all, he did do that, you know. Yeah. Please, I'd like please to come up. to Chico's defense because... Um, you know, when he was saying, telling us to smile and be joyful, to be fair, if we're talking about your feelings, following your rational mind, we were singing songs. <laughs> That's right. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that would have been the sort of thing vinyl would do. Here's another fun story I've, I've got about vinyl. This is, this is kind of t- gives you his. So vinyl was one of these guys who's super, he's just on my mind now, <laughs> super frugal. He was from Maine. He's like an old, old Yankee, where you, where you reuse the aluminum foil 10 times before you throw it away, that kind of guy. And uh, so 
we were we had a we had a building program. One of the reasons they brought me into to, to this church is because they wanted me to lead the building program. So we had this building program, and um, so we we had a, a model, a scale model of it in the foyer. And final was against it, against the whole thing. Final thought, we should like packing it in like they do in Haiti. Everybody up next to each other, you know, like this, to, to the point where you know it's like fire hazard, you know, kind of thing. So he would make his feelings known regularly about why we shouldn't do it. And then one Sunday, the model disappeared. <laughs> Final stole it <laughs> and threw it away. <laughs> we never got it back. <laughs> so I took Vinyl out to, to, for breakfast, and we had a long talk. I said, hey, count, tell me all the reasons. I said, yeah, 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 yeah. And I said, I just basically said, Vinyl, we're going to build the building. And he was like, all right. <laughs> He finally accepted it. <laughs> Just fine. Anyway, learning to love people uh, when we don't feel like it and worshiping when we don't feel like it. You know, sometimes you should just do it because it's right. Okay. So I think there's something to be said for that. So now we're, with the next 15 minutes, we're not going to be able to do justice to the second part of the article. But here we come to this phrase, but the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself, and so limited by his own revealed will that he may not be worshipped according to the imaginations and devices of men or the suggestions of Satan or under any visible representation or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scripture. So, not only uh, are we to to worship God with the, the whole self, uh, in the range of things described here, but also the forms matter. The forms matter. You ever come across people who kind of downplay the forms and play up the heart so much that it's almost like the form is like irrelevant? Here we're told that it's, that's not the case, that good intentions are not enough. Now let me give an example of a, of, of a person who learned that good intentions were not enough. Remember when the Ark of the Covenant was tipping over and this you know, guy who had good intentions you know, put his hand up to, 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 I can't remember the name of the guy. Does anybody remember the name of the guy? So he puts his hand up to stop the, the Ark from, from falling and he drops dead. Where are you? There you go. <laughs> the form, he was, not, he was not supposed to touch the Ark. He, he thought he had, you know, good cause to, and probably it was an impulse, but the form matters. I think the form matters for reasons that we don't often appreciate. Um, now, that means that, um, you know, we are to attend to the forms uh, as much as we attend to our own motivations in, in this matter. So, and we're told that... Um, we should uh, do it according to the pattern or what has been instituted by God himself. Now, why is it that we tend to downplay the forms? Any thoughts? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's part of it. We've all known people who've maybe not had their heart in it and have been kind of going through the motions or, you know, the, everything seems rote, that, right? And so there's a tendency that we have to say, okay, that's not as important as the heart. <clears throat> but 
isn't it better to have the heart in the thing that's the right thing to do? Yep, Jennifer. Um, that might be like women pursuing pastorship, even though the scriptures clearly state that's not your position. Yeah, I think that's an example of it. One of the things to think, go ahead, Dave. Forms restrict the free flow Holy Spirit. Well, that's the way sometimes people put it. And it's what, what's implied in that, though? What's implied in that is that God is contradicting himself. So if you have the form that's been established by God, and that's what we're talking about here, the form is established by God, and we say the spirit is somehow constrained or, 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 or uh, quenched or held back because of the form, then we have this sort of thing that doesn't seem to go together. I mean, the spirit and the law are not on the same page, right? It seems odd. Yeah, Mark. Just along those lines, how God would say, I'm tired of your feasts, I'm tired of your prayers, I'm, your incense. But they're things he prescribed. Yeah. The problem is you're not bringing your mind and your heart into alignment with what he's prescribed. Right. Which means that we can, we can do that. You know, going back to Geo's comment about joy, uh, we can bring ourselves to the correct forms and say to ourselves, why am I not putting my heart into this? I should be able to do that. And then, you know, we can exhort ourselves, you know, say we should, and then give ourselves some things to make it, you know, easier, you know, in terms of providing reasons for when we think about, I want to, like, let's say, put it this way. So, David, what's your favorite, what's your favorite uh, entree for dinner? Steak. Yeah, okay, steak. What's the thing you hate? What's the food you hate? I used to hate Brussels sprouts. Now that, I, now that you roast them, they're awesome. <laughs> well, okay, so you're not a great example. Yeah. So, <laughs> in my case, I hate, I hate yams. I hate sweet potatoes. I hate anything. So my wife... She would never think of serving me those things, especially not on Father's Day, right? Now, my wife actually loves those things herself. She doesn't understand why anybody could be so ignorant as to not be able to appreciate the wonderful characteristics that, you know, we should all appreciate when it comes to sweet potatoes. But, I mean, sweet potatoes, just like, (laughs) you kind of, that kind of thing for me. Now, if, it were, if I were starving to death, I suppose I'd eat a sweet potato. But now the form really matters. Like, if, so when it comes to the things that I enjoy, that would, you could say that's, those are the forms. We'd say, well, I'm, I'm serving sweet potatoes because my heart is really into sweet potatoes. And you, I'm going to give them to you whether you like them or not. Think about it that way. So if the Lord says, do it this way, and we say, well, we like it this way. It's like serving the Lord something that, you know, he doesn't ask for, doesn't want. <laughs> Maybe feels a desire to retch. <laughs> anyway, that's it. You get glimpses of that with the strange fire. Yeah. Yeah, you know, with uh, Aaron's sons. Yeah, I think that's right. So there are, we have lots of, we've got lots of things that we can point at in Scripture to say that's not acceptable. God rejects it. Think about Cain and Abel, you know. 
Um, so right from the start, some things are acceptable, some things are not. Um, he gave me towels for our first Christmas, and it made me want to go cry in the bathroom. And I had such a horrible Christmas, I just got so angry. I felt like he didn't actually love me, that he just gave me towels. And that now we all know. And then his friend showed up the next day with earrings from work. At, um, he was in the Navy, showed up with presents, actual gifts. <laughs> Now, I was waiting for you to say that that was David's idea and he was trying to bring those to you through the other guy. No, no. <laughs> the next day, his friend, because he was at, on ship, he had his time. Um, whenever they on board ship, you have to like do your time, like you have 24 hours, your duty, duty. And um, it was the next day after Christmas. And so he gave his friend on the ship money to go buy me gifts. He knew how to buy gifts. Oh, there you go. Well, so, there you go. So he actually said, okay, I'm inept. <laughs> they, were, they were important house. <laughs> <laughs> but you learned. You learned that there was an unacceptable sacrifice. <laughs> and you changed the sacrifice. You said, okay, we've got to do something different here. <laughs> Yeah, Dan. Yeah, well, that's right. The road to hell, as it's, as, as it's put. We can think about this applying to lots of things. Our, our personal lives, the things that our government does. You know, there are things that our government says it's doing for our, you know, good, and then terrible things are, you know, the, you know, ha- happen. You know, it, we're giving them credit for good intentions. Maybe that's not even the case, but let's just say that was the case. You know, we have to think about how these things actually work out. Yeah. That reference to Cain is perfect. I'm sorry? The reference to Cain is perfect. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very, it's not like vegetables are bad or grain or anything like that, but there's, there's an acceptable sacrifice that's been... Um, no, Cain had just simply said to Abel, what did I do wrong? You know, I'll get it right next time. It would have been a different story, right? Yep, Christopher. So what would we say that that kind of strange worship implies? Is it a lack of understanding, lack of respect? Mm-hmm. I think people would say it's perhaps not a lack of love. Yeah. Um, your heart can be in the right place and you can be doing it, per se. Right. Right. Um, is God requiring and expecting a certain amount of understanding on our part, a certain amount of yeah, yeah. I think that respect does. and reverence. I think that implies that that we want to make we want to please the Lord, so we should inquire what pleases the Lord, and then there's a place where the Lord says, "This is what makes me happy." And we say, "Oh, I don't want to do that." <laughs> well, what does that mean? Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, I think a lot of churches have lost um, that liturgical form in an effort to be super friendly and just let anyone come in off the street and feel like they belong or that they can just jump right in and worship without any question or misunderstanding. Yeah, and I think what that implies is we care more about what they think than what God thinks, right? So, you know, I've been in churches that function in that that way, and one of the problems that you, you run into is that even though maybe you start off and, and, and attract those people, you never seem to get past that. What you win them with is what you win them to. I don't know if you've ever heard that term. 
So that's why they never seem to like get beyond that kind of stuff. Like if we were to say, well, we're just trying to get a, a crowd, but we're eventually going to bring them along, maybe we can understand it a little differently. But that doesn't seem to be a way it tends to work out. On the other hand, I've been in churches that I've served where I've seen people come to Christ and the first thing they say is, oh, how do we do this around here? I want to get it right. Yeah. So I'm just curious, how do we know? Uh, so the, the premise of this seems to be that the, our form of our worship needs to be grounded in what we find in Scripture, but pretty much every Christian group you will find says that their form of worship is grounded in Scripture. Pentecostals will point to passages that talk about speaking in tongues. Uh, Roman Catholics will point out their interpretations of various epistles that seem to indicate that what they're doing is kosher with the New Testament. So what, as what's, what's our criterion for distinguishing between, oh, and if we were to go back in time to a New Testament church, it would look nothing like a Presbyterian worship service, I think it's safe to say. Um, so how do we distinguish between what's an acceptable form and what's not an acceptable form. Yeah, I think the, 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 the approach that we've taken with Reformed is um, the safest approach that, you know, is the best approach. So if we were to say something like, okay, we want to make sure that we, when we uh, have, um, you know, an, a, uh, you know, prayer, you know, in church, that that prayer is informed by scripture, directed in ways that are uh, delineated for us in scripture. So you'd start off with, um, you know, something like the Lord's Prayer as a pattern, right? Um, I think that when we think about, say, particular things, let's think about speaking in tongues, uh, we also have with that, uh, you know, Paul, telling us that something that can be understood has value. So that becomes an, eva- an evaluative thing uh, or a means or sort of a, a standard by which we can evaluate prayer. So it's something that's understandable becomes. So essentially what we've tried to do within the Reformed tradition is take the safe route by making a strong connection between explicit statements and um, what we do. So uh, a few weeks back, I, I did uh, something on um, Reformed aesthetics in worship. Uh, and the, 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 what, I was, what I tried to demonstrate was that beauty um, is something that uh, can be understood as uh, applying to uh, the verbal uh, as well as to the visual and to other things. So one of the things that we've tried to stress in reform worship is the centrality of the word. And then what we want to do is we want to make certain that scripture is suffused throughout the service. So if you look at our worship uh, folder, you'll see that there's a lot of scripture, <laughs> you know, in terms of calls to worship, uh, you know, responsive reading, reading of scripture, you know, the benediction as well. You know, when I, re- when I pronounce the benediction, I use scripture. I don't, and I actually make a point of holding my Bible up and reading it 
even though I've got it memorized, <laughs> to help remember, you know, remind everybody this is where it's coming from, right? So um, that's a that's a great question and a and a good subject to kind of think a lot about. But unfortunately, we're out of time. <laughs> Gotten to the end of the class, but we'll be taking up the subject again next week, and I'd be glad to begin with that. All right. Well, why don't we pray? Father, thank you for uh, this time to consider uh, what has been presented to us in the Westminster Standards. And we pray, Lord, that we'll endeavor to uh, give ourselves to the study of it and, and in a way that does honor to the effort that was put into it. In Christ's name, amen.